Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and James Cameron made the highest-grossing film of all time, but there's no way he could do it again, right? Right? Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. As I always like to say, I'm a warrior of the Podhead clan, you know? <laughs> An iconic like line from the movie Avatar, everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jeff Kanata. I just want to go back to 2009. Can we, please? <laughs> Everything was simpler then. Yeah. yeah. Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing the James Cameron film Avatar. We got a special treat for you folks today. All right. It's going to be all Avatar all the time on this. Yeah, which nobody which, has been asking for, right? So. It's uh, <laughs> different from our regular show. How, Dave, exactly? Um, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, I feel like it's, this is, uh, what do you call this in a wrestling match, right? The final showdown. This yeah. is the final mm-hmm. match. We will not be discussing the aspects of cultural relevancy in Avatar anymore. After this, that, this, that, this is, is the, that is that is the operating theory. One person you know? <laughs> leaves the ring. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this yeah, is the retirement match, basically. <laughs> basically, folks, for those who don't understand what exactly I'm getting at, it's that today's episode of the podcast is all going to be focused on Avatar, the 2009 film that was recently re-released uh, and is out in theaters right now. Uh, I saw it in laser IMAX 3D. Going to be curious to hear how you guys saw it, but we're going to be discussing everything about the movie. We're going to be discussing the conversation around the movie, the cultural relevance around the movie, the themes of the movie, and then we're going to be diving into the movie sort of sequence by sequence, act by act, and talking about uh, this movie in detail. So that is the whole episode. Yeah. And hopefully by the end of this, you don't feel that this premise has been drawn out way beyond its its what it can handle. <laughs> it, <laughs> is, it is, uh, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, listeners... We have to do the thing that's just going to get us the most downloads. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And that is talking about 2009's premiere film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can find more episodes of this podcast at <laughs> slashfilmcast.com. I'm oh, sorry, thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slashfilmpodcast. Now, before we get into our conversation about Avatar... There is one thing we have to acknowledge. Uh, you know, I learned some very unfortunate information over the course of the last week, which is that I should not trust Jeff Kanata when it comes to my Agatha Christie information. <laughs> well, I, I think I made that clear uh, oh, that wow. I, I w- was woefully unprepared to see uh, see how they run because I, I I hadn't had a recent exposure to Agatha Christie, which is clearly required. In fact. Um, I was so wrong about so many things that uh, I, I even missed the biggest uh, joke about the entire movie. 100%. Okay, so for, for those who don't know, on last week's episode of the podcast, Jeff Kanata talked about the new theatrical film, See How They Run, right? Uh, which heavily features the Agatha Christie theatrical play, The Mousetrap. Now, during that episode of the podcast, Jeff, I, not even implied, straight up indicated that he had seen the filmed version of the mousetrap and that this was essential viewing for watching see how they run there's mm. only one problem with that jeff Kanata. doesn't exist there is no film version of yeah. the mousetrap um, this is uh this is the berenstein bears uh this is the uh the uh well well the Sinbad. mandela effect mandela effect implies that uh that a lot of people feel, feel this way. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know? a lot of me feels lot, this way. Lot of, yeah, so here's an email we got from Jean M., who writes into slash filmcast.gmail.com. Uh, 
while discussing See How They Run, Jeff goes on and on about the movie The Mousetrap, a film which he insists he's seen and which he estimates proudly proclaiming he's not looking it up is probably from the 1960s. Well, by now, I feel you should know that whenever one of you states he's not looking up something, he really should because there is no Mousetrap movie. Yeah, not from the 1960s true. and not from another decade. Well, that's not really true. Technically, there is a 1990 film from the Soviet Union yeah. and a 1960 Bengali language Indian film, which is probably not an official adaptation. But Ob- somehow, I don't think Jeff was talking about either Obviously, of those. the ones I saw. Obviously, both of those I saw. <laughs> it should Obviously. be noted that as a stage play, The Mousetrap in London is the longest running play in the world with over 28,700 performances and counting since the show there opened in uh, 1952. Um, and that that's the whole premise of the movie. Yes. And evidently is consistent with real life. The reason that there has never been a film adaptation is because yes. famously the rights to the film ap- adaptation had a clause which stated it could not go into production until six months after the closing of the show in London, which has not happened still to this day. Yes, yes. And the, uh, that's a big plot point and that's, in that the is movie. A, that is a plot point of the film. So how Jeff watched the movie in which it was a plot point well, because that the, plot point, make... of the, the <laughs> plot point of the movie is they're gearing up to make the movie mm-hmm. and uh, i mm-hmm. i i uh I, I you know this is an, a grievous error on my part and i've clearly conflated some other whodunit with watching yes. the mousetrap and yeah in fairness structurally that's not an unusual thing to do whodunits are sort right. of my, 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 my wife who is an agatha christie expert i would say uh was very sympathetic to your plight well, thank because you. at least uh, somebody in your family is hundred percent. Um, because, because yeah, a lot of whodunits have like similar structure and, you know, uh, similar setting and Agatha Christie's novels. Like if you don't have precise knowledge of them, they can all blend it together. So it's very, very possible. You saw another Agatha Christie movie and thought it was the mousetrap. Well, the, but, we, the, the, the Mandela effect part of this for me is that I have what I thought was a very clear memory of looking at my dad's VHS collection and seeing the mousetrap written on scotch tape, which is how he labeled all his VHS movies. <laughs> wow. I have very vivid memory of, of seeing that, but clearly that's a false memory. I'm conflating some other title of some other something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, uh, I will say one thing that's pretty cool about See How They Run, uh, which my wife watched last week, uh, is that... The Mousetrap is a whodunit play that's still in, you know, playing uh, in theaters right now, uh, like the theater, not movie theaters. And uh, they take great pride in the move, the solution to the whodunit just generally not being spoiled. Like mm-hmm. it's a whodunit. There is a solution. And people are generally told, don't share the solution with other people. And that's gen- like, people have generally held to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's kind of cool. And even see how they run, which is about to play the mousetrap, does not spoil the ending of the mousetrap, technically, yeah. which is kind of cool. So I just thought those are all like nice little touches. And, um, but did anyway. she enjoy it? Uh, she, she enjoyed it, but she did not think it was a good movie. <laughs> um, but it's like for someone like, for someone of her ilk, it's like, this is the perfect movie for her because it's obviously like you really, I, I think your enjoyment of see how they run will be dramatically increased. If you're familiar with the mousetrap, the play, that's right? what I was saying, which yeah. is why I was recommending people go see the movie yeah. before they watch it. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So, my, Hey, I recalled the, uh, the other correction I wanted to make. Oh yeah. Another correction. Go ahead, Jeff. So another thing I messed up on and, and you know what? 
you have some culpability on this one too, Dave. Oh, okay. Um, because <laughs> I, I'm responsible it, for it. everything you guys talk about. So you uh, and yeah. I, no, no, you, uh, you chimed in on this one uh, hard. Oh, okay. Uh, I, uh, commented on the Patton Oswalt, uh, stand-up special. We all scream. Yes. And I said that the only real downside to it was, uh, the crowd work, the crowd work. Uh, and I compared it to his previous special and I was told this week that his previous special also had crowd work, mm, mm. which you did not uh, mention either. It's all your fault, Dave. Yeah, yeah. It, you, it, it is. You commented on that as well. And uh, evidently we we're both wrong. Uh, he has done this in previous specials, but I was told it was equally jarring in that, in that one as well. <laughs> okay. I, I just didn't remember that. Yeah. At all. Yeah. All right. Well, Jeff, you're really, really taxing the credibility of the film cast these days, you know? But... Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> Got to keep people on their toes. That's All right. right. All right, folks. Well, you are uh, listening to the film cast, and we are going to dive into our conversation about James Cameron's 2009 film Avatar, which we just watched again this week. And before we get to the film, I think it is important to talk about the conversation around the film, because it's not only something that's out there on the internet, it's something that has clearly been taxing for listeners of this podcast <laughs> who, who tune in every week only to hear their pod dads uh, argue about, you know, the pod parents argue about, uh, about the cultural relevance of Avatar all the time. So Devendra, I think, uh, has been feeling a little bit misunderstood about what argument he's made about the cultural footprint of Avatar. And so what, what we've all been trying to say, I guess, like, well, I, I want to hear, I want to hear. So, so Devendra, I, I want to cede the floor to you. And like, um, what are your thoughts on like Avatar being a culturally relevant film or not? Because mm -hmm. that topic has been heavily debated online over the course of the last decade. Right. So like, what are your thoughts on it? I want to know. First of all, we have to define cultural relevancy. Okay. I feel like that's a topic important. I agree. To me, good, good, um, good thing. Yeah. This is a Devendra's Ted talk, by the way. Here yes. we go. This is not about box office. You know, mm -hmm. this is not about if you like the movie or not. I don't care. I don't care if you like the movie. This is about the fact that the highest grossing ever made just isn't really talked about anymore and that was something scott mendelson brought up in a blog post like years ago we were talking about it online even before that it was just a thing you know it's it's not it's not quoted frequently at least in my circles uh when i was in new york among movie nerds rarely a common topic of discussion it's like it's like something that just like took over the world for a short time just disappeared and my thing is isn't that weird isn't that strange it's it, it's like those folk those facts don't really hold it's like seeing something impossible to me it's like um it's like seeing a glitch in the matrix right that shouldn't be true the most popular or at least the highest grossing movie of all time should uh should should be a thing we're at least thinking about and gnawing on as much as we talk about star wars as much as we talk about so many other things and it's that lack of impact that just really fascinated me. I'm just fascinated by it. So you can like the movie just fine. I know it made a ton of movie. Okay. Um, I just find it weird. And what is also funny is that even after uh, that point was made by Scott and a whole bunch of other people, um, not really many other topics around this movie, huh? Huh? 
It's uh, we're we're not debating the the intricacies of the Navi culture. We're not talking about like the the greater impact of what James Cameron is trying to say with the movie, which we will in this review. Um, we are talking about the fact that this thing exists. So that's all. I just want to acknowledge that. To me, it's like it's like you go outside and you just see something that is absolutely weird, right? It's like the the shoe with the that's standing straight up in Nope. It's like what? How did how did that happen? Explain that to me. I'm just asking for it to be explained. That's all. So cultural relevancy to me is is the sort of like, yeah, it's it's the cultural conversation, something people are talking about. It's things that are being like wrestled with and talked about. I've seen articles and you posted one, uh, Jeff, like you shared one around like, yeah, the broader impact of Avatar. I don't think anybody's saying Avatar didn't have an impact. It was a hugely popular movie. It made a ton of money. I think the tech has slowly kind of like channeled out in other ways, although not as much as James Cameron probably wanted. Um, People have been bringing up like how John Favreau shot Lion King and a bunch of things. But the actual like techniques that Cameron was doing didn't really pop back up until Alita, which he produced, right? Like that that whole virtual camera thing, Mm -hmm. Um, at least that specific technology. Just never really came to pass. 3D was a big thing for a couple of years. Died. Not supported anymore on TVs. Um, I have a couple of things to share with you guys to uh, to, to just kind of really settle like where I am right now. How well, here can have, I can I yeah. can I read uh, before you continue? I want to hear what you have to say. Sure. Um, uh, I just want to read quickly from the Scott Mendelson article. Right. For this is from seven years, eight years ago, he wrote this article called Five Years Ago, Avatar Grossed $2.7 Billion, but Left No Pop Culture Footprint. This mm-hmm. is probably one of the most yeah. well-known he articles about this He cited on the Wikipedia for, yeah, for he, this topic. Yeah. So he, he is, this is kind of like the, the defining article on this topic. Um, and uh, so let's, let's say what he said in the article, and I just want to make sure it aligns with what Devendra said. He says, quote, Avatar did not become a cultural touchstone in any real sense. Kids don't play Avatar on the playground nor with action figures in their homes. There is little, if any, Avatar-themed merchandise in any given store. Most general moviegoers couldn't tell you the name of a single character from the film, nor could they name any of the actors who appeared in it. Even its strong showing at the Oscars hurt the film, as the narrative turned into mean and scary James Cameron against weak and helpless Catherine Bigelow, as if the former Miss James Cameron needed any sympathy votes as she went on to become the first female Best Director winner for The Hurt Locker. Avatar didn't inspire a legion of would-be Avatar ripoffs, save perhaps for Walt Disney's disastrous John Carter. It didn't set the mold for anything that followed, save for its use of 3D, which turned into the post-conversion tool uh, I'm sorry, which turned the post-conversion tool into a valuable way to boost box office overseas, end quote. Um, so I think that's that kind of is in line with what you're saying, right, Devendra? Mm-hmm. And but I think it's also interesting to kind of think about what what the metrics of what you're saying are, sure. right? And that's that's hard addressly, to tell. I've got some it, metrics for you. Okay, yeah, hit hit me. So what were you gonna say? Yeah, what were you gonna Let's say? Let's look the... at fanfiction.net. Yes, yes. Fanfiction.net. The the sort of like it's a stomping ground for people who want to like wrestle and uh, talk talk about like you know specific. <laughs> Uh, wrestle with metaphorically, <laughs> wrestle with metaphorically, metaphorically. Yes. but wrestle yes. with like these franchises <laughs> that they like that they think about quite a bit. Uh, over at fanfiction.net, I saw over 2,000 uh stories around the Matrix, saw 4,500 for Terminator, anything involved, anything involving Terminator, 793 pieces of fanfic around the Titanic, just the concept of the Titanic, Avatar, 
Now, Avatar is tricky to search because it is often conflated with, you know, the Avatar uh, kid show, which is fantastic and has a lot of fan fiction. So I, I just searched Avatar Pandora, right? Because an Avatar story would involve Pandora. Yes. Got 134 it. pieces of fan fiction. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty I, I, low number. I, I actually agree partially with Devendra that that is a compelling Insane. metric Insane. of how well a property has grabbed people's imaginations, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> I, there, there's a couple things going on here, too, because I think um, partially there, there's a lot going on here. We'll talk about the 3D in this movie. I think capturing the Avatar experience back in the home was impossible. Like, that was ultimately it. You cannot go to Pandora in your living room. You have to be in a theater. You have to be in the full 3D. Avatar was kind of a ride. That's what I was talking about during the last episode. It is the ride that a lot of people went back and saw it multiple times. And it's that sense memory of, you know, riding whatever the dragons are called. It's a sense memory of being in that world. I believe Ikran Um, is the term, but sure. Sure. (laughs) 2D, 2D, like the the memory that you would have of watching a movie like Avatar, right? You you just can't revisit it. So that's one, one thing against it. James Cameron didn't really help things very much because we've been waiting over a decade, honestly, for Avatar sequels. He talked about a sequel in 2010. Nothing happened for a very long time. Like there were multiple delays. Uh, the first two movies were actually supposed to come out in 2017. So it's been like a whole separate thing. It wasn't until 2017 that he launched four sequels with a billion dollar budget. So, okay, it just took that. That's years of people just not thinking about Avatar much other than James Cameron saying like, hey guys, still working on those sequels. Don't, don't just sit tight. Still working on those sequels. In, in that time, not really much other Avatar media getting out there. There's a Cirque de Soleil show. Uh, we've talked about that on the podcast. There are a couple comics. Uh, there was a book series that was planned by Stephen Gould. Never happened. That would have mm. been four books. That just never happened. So the conversation around avatar just also didn't get a chance to like grow because of like whatever the hell James Cameron was working on in between actually producing these sequels. So that's another thing. Um, he he just didn't really help it. They didn't really milk this franchise very much. There was one game that came out with the movie and, uh, everybody hated it, right? (laughs) Totally forgettable game. I do remember it had like an interesting 3d feature. So that was kind of cool. You could play it. If you had a good NVIDIA video card, you could play that in actual 3d, but, very, very few people actually did that. So I think it really is a combination of things. I'm not saying the movie is bad. I'm just saying yet, all yet. these factors, well, <laughs> not yet, but all these factors did come into play to sort of be like, you know, we've got too much other stuff to talk about. We've got the entire MCU like saga building up. Like pop culture got so swamped by the MCU and also by Star Wars coming back and by all these other franchises, to be honest. So that's they kind of drowned out avatar as well so i I think like it was it was kind of like stifled in multiple directions and that is my argument we just that's it well well, there's not much not much going on here well well said well well played well struck as they say in the uk um i want to hear jeff's response but first let's take a quick break we'll thank a sponsor we'll be right back with more conversation about avatar hey i get to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor hunt a killer oh this is so cool Talk about making an awesome date night or just a a cool game night with you and your friends. Hunt a Killer allows you to step into the shoes of an investigator effectively hunting a killer. 
putting together the clues, sorting through the evidence, making your case. It is so rad. My wife and I just did this. We got the dead on a vine. It's a standalone uh, mystery that takes place all in a vineyard. We got this awesome box that came to my house. In fact, when it arrived, I didn't even know it was Hunt a Killer. It arrived, it looked like a winery's sort of gift box presentation. And I was like, oh, what is this, honey? We open it up. Oh, it's our Hunt a Killer adventure night, mystery solving night. The box is a complete murder mystery that you have to solve. And you play the detective. You get all the evidence and you go at your own pace and you figure out who the killer is. They feel like you're in uh, a procedural TV show. There's a narrative just like in those shows. There's stuff to figure out. It's like you're in your own episode of CSI combined with like an escape room or something. The items in the box are realistic. They feel authentic and they're cool. You you, you have these little knickknacks, these objects that you have to check out and apply to the mystery and figure out how they fit in. Plus there's digital components, which are a wow factor for some people. The games have milestones with a goal to accomplish and intricate details that are crafted by a talented team of creators, writers, artists, and game designers to make this immersive and fun and interesting. You'll be curious about it. You'll have these incredible breakthroughs and you have all sorts of options. They're the episodic, almost like a season of TV that come to your house every month. There's the standalone ones like I did. And even cooler, part of the proceeds from Hunt a Killer go towards the Cold Case Foundation, an organization dedicated to solving real-life cold cases. This is a really, really cool way to do something different for a date night or a weekend. So check it out. Go to huntakiller.com slash filmcast and use the code, the promo code filmcast for $10 off your purchase. That's Hunt a Killer, H-U-N-T-A. K-I-L-L-E-R dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T and the promo code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for $10 off. So we're back and I just want to make sure I understand Devinger's argument and I just try to restate it and you tell me if I've captured sure. it correctly. But I think you're saying not that the article, not that the movie is um, bad necessarily, not that it's unpopular, um, but that uh, that it doesn't seem to have sort of grab people's imaginations or spun up the amount of conversation and discourse that would be commensurate with the all-time highest grossing film. And mm-hmm. that that is a weird thing. And the way, weird. You'd measure, the way you'd measure those things is by kind of soft things, like soft, uh, things. soft metrics. I like, to like Google Trends. Google Trends can tell you a bit. You see an immediate dip after the movie premieres mm-hmm. and it sits under like 25, uh, the metric 25, which is like the the... The comparison to when it was most popular, it's a weird metric, but, you know, compared to a lot of other major franchises, uh, Avatar has sat lower, like post 2010, basically. Man, Devendra brought the research. I, I could have done episode. slides, but I, yeah. this is a hell day for me. Yeah. <laughs> but nicely, nicely done, Devendra. And, um, and yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, how, how much fan fiction is made about it? How much, how much actual official fiction is made about mm-hmm. it? Like these, ki- these kinds of things uh, can inform whether we think of a movie as culturally relevant or having a cultural footprint. Okay. Jeff Kanata. What do you think of what Devendra just said? Well, first I want to say, Devendra, I see you. <laughs> Thank you. 
There's never really a response to that in the movie, right? There's no, there's no thank you to I see. I think I see you back. I think it's I see you back. It's I see, I see you. Back. It's, and also with you. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. I see you and I do, I, I, I recognize your argument and you make solid points. My question, and I, and I, I think my entire problem with this is that you can't sort of bring this up and say you're divorcing it from a qualitative assessment of the movie i'm not saying the movie is bad i think i wish that were so because maybe you are not doing this but most people who bring this up cite it as some sort of ipso facto declaration that the movie is bad this is how you know that it is flawed on some deep fundamental level is because it didn't have any, it's not culturally relevant. Therefore, it can't actually be a mm-hmm. worthy mm-hmm. work of art. Certainly mm-hmm. not worthy of the amount of money it made. Certainly not worthy of any kind of uh, affection or fandom that somebody like me who adores this movie feels. That it is, it is a, it's a bit like, you know, the, uh, wow. Would be, would be a shame if something happened to this place. It's like I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you should guy, torch this house. Not I'm just saying it would chest. be an awful shame if something yeah. happened to it. That feels a bit like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying the movie is bad. I'm just saying no one gives a shit about the movie, and therefore anyone who gives a shit about this movie is fundamentally flawed in some way. I definitely saw people making the quality judgment and. You know what? I will talk more about my feelings about the quality of this movie down the line. But yeah. uh, I don't. I, I think I, it's yeah. It's no, it's notable that Devinger did not say in that argument that it was bad. Right. Yep. I, I gave you data. I was just right. Giving well, data. The, my question yeah. here is mm-hmm. then. I mean, I, I don't think it's enough to just be like that's that's weird. I, what are you saying? What that's all. Are you that, that's all I'm saying. That, that is the limit that's of weird. his argument. Yeah. That's, well, that's weird, my point guys. is that that this is <laughs> this is a means to an end. It's like. I'm not saying to burn the house down. No. I'm just saying I'm it just, would be weird I'm if saying, the house well, burned down. It's, weird. it's like one well, day it's, you it's, go it's, outside and you see a sunset that's like a hyper different color than you've ever seen before in your life. And it's like, huh, sun shouldn't work that way. That's uh, weird. I do think I do think that a lot of Devinger's frustration in the past has come from the fact that his argument is quite limited and is limited to what he just said, and that people are interpreting it to mean your argument, Jeff. Right? Well, people are said, using yeah. it. Yeah using yeah. it to make the argument that it is bad and that anyone who likes this movie is flawed because no one else is talking about it. I, I also think people can make the argument that it's bad. Like, to be <laughs> well, like yes, they're, yes, they're free yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah they're free. They're no, free they are free to do that. But it, I don't think one leads to, I don't think it, it's lack of cultural relevancy as you define it means that it is bad sure and i also don't like there's nobody that looks at a picture of zoe saldana from this movie and doesn't know what movie it's from doesn't mm-hmm. know w- what she is mm-hmm. like there's no they may no forget one who the actress was though yeah they may matter. forget just, like uh, some some specific. doesn't matter guys yeah. i went to see this movie and i was shocked shocked <laughs> that michelle rodriguez was a core character in avatar that is it's things like that. It is things like well, that that just made me like, But what wow. is he trying to say about that? So you, like the movie is not memorable? Yes. 
in certain I, respects. Yes, unless you're sitting where, and we'll talk about this in the review, but I think as, unless you're sitting there going through the 3D experience of it, and maybe if you're recalling like your experience of going through that 3D, um, beyond that, like it, it doesn't have that much to offer. And that is part of the people calling it, you know, not so great. And I, having rewatched it and I have struggled to rewatch this movie over the past decade, because every time I try to watch on my TV, I just kind of get distracted by other things. Um, I don't know. It, it could be a valid argument right now. All I'm saying though, is that it is weird. Like that is the essential, that's the, that's kind of where this conversation started is Scott Mendelson and a lot of other people saying that is really weird guys. And it's also really weird that again, it is the key thing we're talking about, about this movie, right? Like what, what else? What have I, you I seen? I think Devinder is saying, yeah. yeah. Devinder saying, like, people aren't arguing about like the themes of a movie as much as they're arguing about whether people remember the movie, and that itself is uh, notable, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like, is there? I would are argue there other things you've seen, Jeff. Like, I I'm asking for for cultural relevancy, basically. Like, I'm asking to see things. I would. I don't I think any of. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's take another movie from 2009. Mm-hmm. The Hangover. Name one character from The Hangover without looking it up. Don't look it up. You're typing. <laughs> I see you typing. I'm looking I mean, I know, up the. I, I know the I'm actors. Not, yeah, you know. you know the actors. Name that's, name one name one character from The Hangover. You can't. That's right? not. I, I, if I can, you see I know a picture of Zach Galifianakis from mm-hmm. The Hangover, you know it's The Hangover. If you see a picture from Zoe of Zoe mm-hmm. Saldana from mm-hmm. Avatar, you know it's Avatar. It's that's. But uh, The Hangover was not the top grossing film of all time, was, I think is, is the... It was a movie that spawned two sequels. Sure. Mm-hmm. It, it was a, a massive hit. Yes. Huge... Cult- no one would argue that The Hangover didn't have cultural relevance. No one I would know. argue that. It absolutely yeah. had cultural relevance. But... I mean, cer- certainly by the metrics that Devinder was using for cultural relevance, you know, I don't know that it does, but... I don't, yeah. You know, but maybe maybe you have different ways of defining cultural relevance. And also, but, like, yeah. I... It's... Guys, you talk to other people. We have conversations with movie nerds. Like, Hangover is a thing that was discussed, and we talked about Todd Phillips, and even, like, leading up into uh, Joker. Like, it was kind of like we we kind of traced some of his tendencies back to the Hangover movies. But also, people well, if you were talk always about out a- there... You talk about another James Cameron movie, you're going to talk about Avatar. People were out there with a ton of the like hangover Halloween costumes of just like the baby while drinking a beer. You know, yeah. like that I, was I mean, an iconic true. thing. That's true. I've seen it more of those than I have of, then, of Avatar. Uh, yeah. But, well, but a Jeff, much Jeff, easier costume to pull off one. And yes, two, yes, two, turns out. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't yeah. prove anything. I, I don't, bringing up the hangover doesn't prove anything. Like that's what I'm. Yeah. I don't know. Go, go ahead, Jeff. Finish what, you're Finish what you're saying. Okay. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know mm-hmm. what. I don't care. I don't care. That's fine. If you it's know the names of the characters of the movie, this mm-hmm. is the thing that always happens. Do you know mm-hmm. any of the names of the characters? I don't care. That's not. There that's not so at many, all. That's not at all. By the way, I don't in care if there's I any fan right fiction now. written about it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. You don't care. I don't care. Yeah. Why, why I, I, don't I, I, you? I think it's coming. Yeah, it's Jeff's coming from the perspective of like, I love the movie. The I love this movie. I think this movie is wildly entertaining. I think the movie is, uh, is spectacular on a level. I mean, we're going to get to our review of it, but I, I it is a movie that is nearly three hours long. The second it ends, if you started it again, I would watch it. I can say that about almost zero movies. I think mm-hmm. it works on a level that I dream above. There's a phrase you use all the time on the show, Devendra. Sure. It's pure cinema. 
Mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. the cinematic experience writ large. I, there is the thing, you know, people talk another thing that is exhaustingly pointed out to me is that it shares plot points with other films. I couldn't care less about that. But, you know, the idea that that is uh, somehow like a, a unique to this movie or a you're detriment bringing, but you're to bringing the... up other things though you're oh, bringing yeah, up let, 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 Jeff, yeah. let Jeff finish let Jeff finish go ahead Jeff the idea that that's somehow a detriment in I, I don't know where I was going I yeah. forgot where I was going with that but the, the the point I'm trying to make is the I I think that all of this stuff is used as weaponry to try to convince me that this thing I liked mm-hmm. wasn't any good I, I like okay. I don't care about anything else mm-hmm. than the the fact that that cinematic experience is was so transportive and incredible. Oh, that's what I was gonna where I was going with that is that it's like all these other things. I would argue it is not like anything else. The the experience of watching Avatar in IMAX. 3D is not like any other movie ever. It, it, it is a different experience. It is transported. There's more going on in the frame of any one shot in that movie than is going on in most entire films. It's, it's lush. You fall into it. It's an incredibly immersive, powerful cinematic experience. And so... When I hear people say, but it's the, this, is, it, it's all to sort of try to take it down a peg and try to convince me that this thing I love isn't worthy of my love. I, 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 I genuinely don't care. Yeah. I genuinely do not care whether people are writing fan fiction about it. I've, I've never been to fanfic.com. You're not, but you're not having this argument then. That's what, if you don't care about how people are wrestling with this thing, you can love it. You can love it all you want. I am personally not trying to take down your love of this movie because I do like certain aspects of it too. I'm saying just engage with me on this other level to please like say like, isn't it weird that such a transportive movie is not something we're talking about every day? Like that's and, and if so, why is that the case? I think Devin was asking why. Yeah, but why do you think? But I just gave you all the reasons I thought. But yeah, well, 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 no, no, well, you well, said uh, it didn't. You, you, you guys made a very big point to say that was the extent of your argument that there yeah, is yeah, no yeah. why. Yeah, there, uh, there is well, more me, I could l- say. Yeah. Let me get into. It. Let me let me actually try. Yeah. try it. But but um, let me. I think you guys have kind of laid out your arguments so mm-hmm. from what I'm hearing. You know, Devin just kind of laid out like the case against the cultural relevance of Avatar. Jeff has laid out why he doesn't care. You know, which is completely legitimate. Um, let me introduce I, a third argument yeah, into the mix. Let me introduce a third argument to the mix. Avatar is not culturally relevant, and that is a feature, not a bug. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, well, yeah, I, I was going to make that point too. Yeah, we live in an era of constant commodification, IPification yeah. of uh, the TV shows and movies that we watch. Right, like all the love and nostalgia that we have for all the stuff that we talk about here on the podcast, you know, um, not only is there going to be a TV show on it and a book based off of it and an action right. figure, but there's going to be like spinoffs and like, you know, action figures and all of that. And, and it can be exhausting. And maybe the fact that avatar came and went and no one thinks about it anymore is actually awesome. 
because it that, means that's that an interesting argument. Yeah, yeah, because it means that we got to enjoy this thing, and then we don't need to think about it anymore, and that's actually a blessing. And these upcoming sequels, which are going to mm-hmm. bring it back into the conversation, are kind of a step back. Just, a, just another thing to think about. Yeah. Well, you know? I, 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 I was with you to a point, but I, yes. I, because I, I, <laughs> I, I think you know, part of Davinci's argument was like it didn't have the four book series, it didn't have this, and I was like, isn't that refreshing? Isn't that kind of nice that it wasn't it like can, it drilled into I'm our just, brains? What? Yeah. It can be refreshing. I'm just saying that I am blaming James Cameron for part of the reason, like, we're not just having this conversation. But, like, it is. That's all. I don't know that. I I think the problem is that, like, why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we talking about it is seen as this flaw. It's seen as this, like, there's something, must be something wrong with this movie because I'm not bringing it up to my friends every 15 seconds. And I don't think, I love this movie. I don't bring it up to my friends, but there's a lot of movies I love that I don't bring up every 15 seconds. I mean, there's a lot of movies that I think we would all agree have huge cultural relevance that we're not talking about incessantly. And I think, you know, it it is compared to Star Wars because of its level of spectacle, its level of success, its level of, of, of science fiction, you know, vision. But... There's nothing that's Star Wars. There's like Star Wars and, and Marvel Comics now, but you know, 20 years ago, Marvel Comics weren't like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, there's, not, there's nothing on that level of cultural relevance. And, and because this movie is the most successful movie of all time, we go, well, shouldn't it be like that? I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't, mm-hmm. I don't stipulate that no one cares, which is what you guys have been saying. No one cares about this movie. I'm not, not saying that either. I'm not saying nobody cares. It's again, it's more like where a, a much smaller group of people care than a much smaller group of people care. And care passionately. Like where right. are the memes? Where are the where are the sort oh, of like there's nothing I, would l- I less care about than the memes. I don't like again. You, know I mean? you, you think of like Terminator Two. After we all saw Terminator Two. The 90s were freaking dominated with references to the T-1000 and to like so many elements of that movie. And I just, again, I'm thinking of this movie. I'm like, I I don't know what those things are. That I could even point to be like, huh, that's a real Avatar moment. Uh, there, there was a tweet going around about a guy uh, who's driving in a van that was precariously tied. And there was like a ton of carpets in the back. And everybody was like, that's a Final Destination 2 moment right there, buddy. And everybody like... <laughs> That because that's a thing we viscerally all recall from that thing, and like it's that's a small movie. I, I Not mean, everybody I will has seen say, it, but it's it's stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know what I can tie Avatar to. That's I, I will yeah. say, okay, I, I actually. Let me just say I agree with both of you. To be honest with you, you know, not that anyone cares what I think, but like I, I think that Devinger made some really great points, and also that Jeff is completely fine to not, yeah, not give not a crap, play not, my give system, a crap. not play my game. Basically, not give a crap if, yeah. if it has no culture. Like I think that's completely fine. I think the um. The one argument from the AV Club article, there's an AV Club article today that was like, actually, Avatar had a massive impact on pop culture, despite what you've been hearing lately. The one thing that I think is like the most convincing from that article, which I overall did not find super convincing, Mm -hmm. is um, describing like the kind of worlds that we saw. Um, Bioluminescent jungles began figuring in as plot points in the likes of Trolls, Smurfs, and Moana. And I actually do think like the kind of aesthetic of Avatar sure. yep. has kind of seeped its way into our culture in various ways. Mm-hmm. Um, those movies being some examples of them. So that's the uh, one. I can point to example. a thousand video games that have used that bioluminescent look mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Which so um, so, yeah. so there are some elements that I do think have have seeped out. But I also largely agree with Devendra that like 
um, yeah, it's a, it's a little odd. It's a little odd that like we aren't talking about it more. Um, but anyway, Jeff, I, I hope I've, I've tried to capture kind of what you're saying. Um, but uh, let me know if I'm being unfair. Yeah. Like, do you feel? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I don't, I don't want to just reduce my argument to, uh, you know, stipulating you're correct, but I don't care. I, 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 <laughs> let me find, I also find don't me something, care. Jeff. Like, you I also love this don't movie. care, but I, I, I don't yeah. think, I think, I, I think you make good points. And I think it is undeniable that it does not sit in the same headspace as Star Wars or as Terminator. Matrix or yeah. Terminator. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For sure. That is absolutely the case. Okay. But, I think the the tendency with people who make that case is that it like it, it is it is this nothing burger. It is it is an empty fluff of a thing. And I think that that's the problem is that it all of these paths lead to the same destination, a final destination if you will, uh which is uh sort of a qualitative assessment of the art, which I f- I don't think I I my my biggest objection to this entire line of thinking is that one has any relevance to the other talking about relevance that a cultural relevance is relevant to the quality of art Mm -hmm. like it's Mm -hmm. i don't think that one speaks to the other it can i think it's a great piece of art can in fact inspire Mm -hmm. a lot of cultural relevance but it doesn't necessarily have to there are sure sure I think, I, and that, that's but how me. many things are the most popular thing of its kind ever made? That is my question. Cause avatar sits atop this enormous hill of cinema. It is an impossible standard that I don't know if any, I'm sure some of you will reach it. Eventually it was probably helped because most people were getting the 3d tickets. That's kind of the way you had to see the movie. But this, this is like a thing that is untouchable and you can like it. You could totally like it. It it is just a weird thing that for me it's like a glitch in the matrix and I can't like stop thinking about why it's so weird. I think that I think that the reason it made it made more money than any other movie ever is because it delivered a theatrical spe- experience that is unmatched. Truly unmatched. There's nothing I mean even revisiting it this week there's nothing like the Avatar in the theater for me. I, I there's nothing that has approached it since. That doesn't mean it's better than every other movie. It doesn't mean that that it is more culturally relevant than any other movie. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that all cinema is shit. Since it just means that it is a singular cinematic experience that is you can't. You have stated it yourself. You cannot replicate at home for all of the three D televisions that were sold in the aftermath. You can't get that kind of thing, you know. I that guess mo- that was good and bad for this movie in that respect. Then, yeah, right. And I and mm-hmm. I and I I think you have uh, described it as being a ride, and I think it, it's a bit of a pejorative as you, as you use it. But I don't see it that way. I think it is an incredible ride, and I I think that it it is it's a great that ride. Is a worthy, it is a great ride. Yeah, that is a worthy ideal for a movie to aspire to and i i don't want every movie to be that but when i see a movie that provides that kind of a three-hour just transportive 
incredibly engrossing, uh, pulse-pounding, emotional. You know, James Cameron talks about it working on the subliminal. Like, his ideal for this movie was that it worked on the subliminal. Maybe that's part of the explanation. I don't know if he achieved that or or not, but certainly maybe that's, that's kind of what he's hoping is that this movie lands in a place that isn't an intellectual sparking of conversation, that it works on a more subliminal place. And maybe that's why he uses a plot that is well, well tread that, you know, we are experiencing a different kind of um, journey with this movie than, than you are with other movies that spark your, your conversation. Um, You know, I'm just throwing it, throwing out other theories, but it's, I just don't, the problem to me is that this notion that it hasn't sparked conversation or it hasn't uh, lasted as a touchstone for memes or whatever is invariably used as a knock against the piece of art. And that to me is, it, it does not follow and mm-hmm. it, it is incongruous. But I, I will point out this movie is really well reviewed. It's sitting high and pretty on Rotten Tomatoes. And this movie made a ton of money. So, well, so I think what Devinger is saying is like they can coexist. They, you know, yeah. the idea that people like the movie and also it happens to not spark conversation. But I do yeah. think like audience score Jeff, is pretty high too. You so, know, you're saying yeah. the implicate. What are the implications of it? And I think we should explore those a little bit. Sure. But, um, but anyway, uh, I think we should take a break and we'll be right back with more conversation about Avatar and its themes uh, here on the Filmcast. Hey, I get to tell you about our sponsor, Quip. I love Quip. I've been using Quip for several years now. I will never go back. I will never use any other toothbrush or any other oral hygiene product. It really it really has improved my life. Good health starts with good habits. And Quip makes it so easy to have good habits by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. I'm talking about the Quip electric toothbrush, which is loved by over 7 million mouths, four of which are in my house. Because we all use quips in my house. My kids use them. My wife and I both use them. These are timed sonic vibrations delivered in 30-second pulses right through the toothbrush to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean. It makes it so you don't have to think about it. You just turn it on. It'll pulse. It'll let you know. And then it'll turn itself off when you hit that two minutes. Plus, it looks so cool. The lightweight, sleek design for adults and kids has no wires or bulky charger to weigh you down. They got that multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount. I love it. I stick it on my mirror. So sleek, so cool, so elegant. And the reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues. It's amazing. I like that all black and the all pink. They're so cool. And they got the bright plastic ones that my kids dig. And you can upgrade your Quip with the new smart motor to track and improve your brushing with the free Quip app which lets you earn amazing rewards like free refills and products and Target gift cards even. So cool. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need for your complete oral hygiene routine. They've got that anti-cavity toothpaste. My kids love the watermelon. I like the mint. They have two different ways to floss. The floss string that expands to clean and the reusable floss pick that replaces over 180 disposable picks with every refill. Plus, they've got that refillable gum that's sugar-free, has long-lasting mint flavor, and comes with a dispenser. They've got the refillable mouthwash that's a 4X concentrate, plus good for you and the planet. Really everything you need for good oral hygiene. So get on it. Go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now. You'll get your first refill for free. That's your first refill for free 
at getquip.com slash filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Quip, the good habits company. Before we proceed, I just want to make sure, Jeff, do you feel like you've had a chance? I feel like we heard from Devendra. Do you feel like we've had a chance to hear from you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, okay. I'm, I don't know if I've convinced anyone. I'm sure I have not because I, I, every time this comes up, or anytime I t- post anything, ab- the problem is anytime I post anything about liking the movie, mm-hmm. this is the response I get. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's not culturally. I've never heard anybody talk about it. Well, I don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. You know, like I liked the movie. Yeah. Like anyway. okay, well. I, I want to talk about the themes of Avatar yeah. uh, before we get into the movie itself. Um, I'm going to spoil Avatar. Um, so if you haven't seen it and don't want to be spoiled, here we go. Now, I want to talk about these themes just like up top because I recently saw Avatar and Laser IMAX 3D and it was an incredible experience. And I want to kind of geek out about some of the stuff with you guys. But I do not want to ignore or forget that I actually find a lot of the themes to be either troubling or incoherent. It's super gross. Yeah. You know? Uh, And there's two themes in particular that I just want to call out, right? Uh, I I think the definitive article about this was written by Annalie Newitz over at Gizmodo IO9 in 2009. Oh, man. So great. Yeah. We actually had uh, Annalie on the podcast to discuss it Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the article was entitled, When Will White People Stop Making Movies Like Avatar? And relating the plot of Avatar to many other films uh, made by white people that have similar themes, which is, um, wouldn't it be great if a white person went into this other society and not only were they like accepted, but they like became like literally the best one mm-hmm, of all of them, mm-hmm. right? And that is also an, an, an odd thing that like, white people keep making movies like that. And it seems to be distinct to America and other white people that like, this is a fantasy that everyone, a lot of white people indulge in. Um, And when I look at the themes of the movie, it it is this kind of anti-colonialist fantasy because they're killing all these military people at the end, right? They're Mm like, get get those people out of here. Like we're, we're, you know, you've destroyed your own planet. Do not touch this planet. You know, like, um, and it's like, and, and so it's it's that theme I just mentioned about absorbing yourself into the culture and also anti-colonial. Like, what if we could do it all over again, basically? Like, what right. if instead of just like- Erase the sins of my past. Yeah, 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 exactly. What if we could, instead of like completely annihilating, you know, Native Americans or whatever, we could like go in and like be part of them and then like fight against the other white people. Wouldn't that be like amazing, right? And so, so it's- Total kind of ally like, work over there. Right, right. Yeah. It's this kind of like bizarre fantasy of like, oh, like- <laughs> Like in this fantasy, we can not be as evil as like Mm -hmm. colonizers actually are in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I I, so the question is like, is that a fantasy worth indulging in or telling or absorbing? You know, and one one thing that one thing that struck me that uh, kind of to this point is that the the way people are cast. Certainly, I, I was surprised that all the uh, characters, or at least the one notable native actor, Wes Studi, is a Navi. Um, all the notable black actors are Navi. They're not, they're not, you know, humans. They're not normal humans. And that's actually mm-hmm. something people have talked about around Zoe Saldana quite a bit, too, is that she is always exoticized in, in certain ways in movies, but uh, often cannot even be seen as as a black person, as a person 
you know, with her own skin color. And that is just watching this movie now, uh, just really that all just kind of hit me the wrong way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other point I wanted to make about the movie is early on in the film, uh, these kind of dog-like creatures attack uh, Jake Sully while he's in his avatar body. And Zoe Saldana comes, Neytiri comes in and she intervenes and she like fights them off. And then she needs to like kill one of them, right? And she like kind of slowly like, um, she, she kind of says thank you, I think. And yeah, then like, she says a prayer. St- stabs yeah. it in the heart, mm-hmm. right? And Jake Sully's like, oh, th- you know, thank you so much. Like really appreciate that. And then she gets really angry. She's like, this is not something you thank for. Like this is a terrible thing. Like th- th- that any living creature would be killed is terrible. Um, and I think the idea behind that is to appreciate all living things. It is difficult to have that as a message of your film in a, and also have a movie that has a third act where you're basically like gleefully murdering, like all these colonizers, which Mm -hmm. at the very least that's self-defense. So yeah, the colonizers are terrible. Yeah. Yeah, It's self-defense, but like, but like the problem is James Cameron's action filmmaking is so good He's that too you're good like, at it. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, yes, I get those guys. Like, you just want those guys to all get got. And um, I do think it fights against mm. some of these other themes of the movie that are like, appreciate all living things, even if they're trying to kill you. Mm-hmm. I feel um, like that those are areas where the movie could have like just tried a little harder, right? Like watching it now, it's like, you really just did dig up native culture again and tribal culture and just like plant it on another planet, you know, with some different things you've, you've got like bio uh synchronization going on um like people are literally like talking with other animals and with the earth or with that planet um but ultimately like it is so familiar to what is on earth that is weird and yeah the i feel like at least thinking harder about what this movie could have been um if he really wanted to be about protecting life, uh, there, there may be a different way you could have gone. With if, the if the movie's yeah. about protecting life, I think it's just inherently at odds yep. with the movie that like the third act is about killing lots of life. Like, I just think it's yep. thematically incoherent personally, even if they are colonizers, even if they are trying, like it just, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't gel with the rest of the film in my opinion. Um, so I do find the movie to be like quite troubling in those ways. That doesn't. Ch- Sorry, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. A uh, couple things. Um, I, I I would define that moment of of her killing the whatever the thing is called because it doesn't have any cultural relevance. <laughs> um, <laughs> not 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 a, the theme not being a preserve all life. I think the the major theme is respect nature, and th- it's not so much like oh don't kill anything, just respect the natural Mm -hmm. function of this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. All life is Mm -hmm. precious. And there is nothing natural at all about how any of the colonizers go about anything, right? There's no respect to nature. It is not, it's not like, hey, don't kill this thing. She killed it, right? It's respect it, respect, respect the ecosystem, respect the natural order, respect how nature functions. And all of the colonizers are doing is digging things up, pulling out the valuable shit, fucking mm-hmm. over the trees. So I don't think it, I, I, I would edit that slightly and say, it's not about respect all life. And maybe that can square your hole a little bit. You know, square your, uh, um, secondly, to the first point, I want to say, 
absolutely a valid criticism of this movie. 100% valid criticism of this movie. I see it, I endorse it. And as a white guy, very bad look for me to defend it on that notion. However, I will keep talking and dig my own grave here. <laughs> yeah, the how, it's what comes after the however. Yeah, yeah. here we go. All right, let's hear it, uh, Jeff. I will reiterate, an absolutely valid reading of this movie and one that I understand would be troubling to many is troubling to me in a number of, I mean, rewatching it this week, I too, Devendra, noticed the casting in a way that I hadn't before. And it, it's just like, man, come on, buddy. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to otherize people in that way, right? Having said, having said that, fucking love CCH Pounder. Fucking love Zoe Saldana. Like the, the, great. the They're actors great. <laughs> that, that are doing such great work in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I will say is I do think what is attempting to be said here, now the, the biggest problematic part is that he, he comes in there and he like tames the untamable beast and becomes the best of the best and unifies all the clans. That, mm-hmm. that stuff is like exactly what we're talking about and is yeah. completely in align with this reading that is an example of numerous movies that are like this. And so very much a valid reading of this movie and one that I also find problematic. Yeah, sure. However, and this is the however part, I do think that what the movie is, is trying to say is that approaching the other with compassion and understanding is the most important part, right? The entire premise of the movie. Now, the othering is problematic, right? We have an alien culture here that is very close to stuff you can find on Earth. All that stuff is absolutely valid. But I do think what the movie is trying to say isn't that, isn't necessarily like you need a white person to do it. It's that when encountering these very capable, I mean, Zoe Saldana is better at everything. That's where I disagree with you right at that point, FYI, but for later, I'm marking it down on the map, but continue what you're saying. (laughs) But you're saying it does need a white person. Yes, that is the point of the, like literally they would be Mm -hmm. effed without Jake Sully. That's the point of the movie. That is the text of the movie, unfortunately. Without without Jake Sully, they're screwed. Now you could say, you're you're saying, oh, well, I wish they didn't have that element of the movie. Me too, but it's yeah. in the movie. It's in, and well, it's in tons of movies. What if they like, try to attack the, the big dragon from up? Yes. Nobody ever did yeah, that before. He, he brought that insight. Anyway, but yeah. go, go ahead, Jeff. No, uh, I, I don't want I'm to agreeing you with yeah. you. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. But the, I do think that I mean, there's... I, this is foolish for me to even continue talking. Um, well, I'm not trying. What, to what I take spot. away I'm, I'm, from yeah. the movie, what I take away yeah. from the movie, while I, yeah. uh, uh, well, I see that and I find it unfortunate, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I wish, I wish it didn't go that far. You know, I wish, sure. it, I wish he wasn't the yeah. prime yeah, yeah. at the end, uh, because I think for most of the movie. He's, you know, uh, Neytiri is far better at everything than he is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that 
what I take away from it is this notion that compassion, respect, like, and those are, those are noble things to deliver to an audience to say, Hey, if you see something that you are not familiar with, approach it with compassion and respect, appreciate it on its own terms, not don't try to make it your thing, come to it and understand it. Listen, think, learn the language. Like all of those things I think are laudable lessons to draw from this movie and lessons that I do draw from the movie. So I, I don't, I don't, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, no, sorry. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Jeff, you know, but um, I'll just say two things. Like, number one, I am glad that you got that out of the movie. Like, I'm genuinely glad that like you take kind of away a positive feeling from the movie. I, I think that the problem, you know, quote unquote, the problem is that those kinds of messages are, are ostensibly the messages of these movies that contain really kind of terrible, mm -hmm. patronizing, damaging messages, uh, other messages or other framings. Green Book is another example of that, you know? And I don't know if you've seen that movie. We probably have a similar argument. About I have that actually well. never but, seen Green Book. But, you know, like that, that's a movie where it's like, that's the message of that movie. It's like, can't we all just understand each other a lot better? And again, where a white person is positioned as like, this is the guy that's going to help make everything better. And it's like, um, so, so I, I'm not opposed to the message of, Mm -hmm. start with understanding and start with like compassion and so, like that's that's a great message but like the problem is the package yeah. the, the optics not the of it just yeah. aren't great it's it's not it's not the message and i agree it's, with it's, you yeah i, yeah. I okay. want that to be very clear yeah. sure. i agree yeah, yeah. on that point mm -hmm. yeah but i that's do a, I, I i don't i'm just saying and I, there's I, I a little baby bathwater thing yeah. that i just feel like right right sure i guess my request would be mm -hmm. um I, I would just encourage you and you probably already do think this is like that somebody else might watch this movie and find it extremely offensive, right? And like you could, oh, you can I understand that. why that's the case. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Okay. I said that. That's to what, start. That's what like, I, I understand that's what I yeah. why somebody would yeah. see that and go, "No, yeah." Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I said that at the start, and I yeah. will try to reiterate it over <laughs> right, and over yeah. and over again. And I think I got. I think I got. And I think movie, that yeah. unfortunately, so much of the discourse with things like this yeah. is if someone does have that reaction. It is now unacceptable for me not to have that reaction. Mm -hmm. Do you know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. I understand what you're saying. And so, it, you're so, saying. so it becomes like, well, now you're the asshole for liking the movie because that reading is in the movie too. And I go, yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And that sucks. And I don't want that to be the case. But it's also like, I don't walk out of that movie mm -hmm. going... Sure glad that white guy was there. Yeah. Like <laughs> to to mm -hmm. what you're saying, Jeff, um, the points, the points of like, you know, compassion and approaching different cultures, you know, uh, openly and warmly. That is ultimately like what is going on behind pretty much every other white savior narrative. Like you look at these movies, they're learning the language. They're becoming part of the culture. It, it is. It's the same thing repeating over and over again. It sort of feels like we're making excuses sometimes. It's like, well, you know, they mean they meant really well. They, they tried their best to become a part of this culture. Let's take that broader message. And we keep excusing it over and over and over again to the point where James Cameron can imagine, you know, an alien planet with floating islands and fauna we've never seen before and all this cool shit. But ultimately what it boils down to is once again, the white guy rules the natives, you know, or saves them. 
uh, from being just a baby, as she calls him, to to practically the leader of the tribe. You know, like he's a noble warrior in the way that Neytiri isn't. He has a title that she doesn't have. So like just optically, it looks really it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Like that specifically that Cameron could do so much. The tech behind this movie is groundbreaking and life changing and actually We'll talk about this more like for this uh, remaster. I don't know if you guys noticed uh, some high frame rate scenes uh, in in your footage. I think I saw some in my screening, but, you know, he even upgraded this movie in ways that honestly nobody was really talking about up until the time it actually landed in theater. So I respect that Cameron can do so much. It's more like I think the limits of the storytelling became more and more apparent to me like over the screening which made it that's just disappointing like i love james cameron i love i love pretty much all his films and to see like something like this just stumble at such basic things is what kind of broke my heart watching this movie again um uh thanks for sharing that davindra jeff i appreciate you being like open to the dialogue and like hearing my my perspective there is there was an article uh in 2018 written by mark harris called who was Green Book for? Right. And yes, yes. And this is a great this is a great article. I know you haven't seen Let, the film, Jeff. I've not like, seen the movie. It has, <laughs> I'm it not has, defending it, Green Book. I, I'm going to read this article, and you will be like, "Oh, they could be describing Avatar." Okay, but I'm going to read this article, and uh, and I think it's like the, it asks the question like, "Who is a movie like Green Book, La, The Last Samurai, Avatar, Dances with Wolves? Who is that? Who is the target audience of that? Right. Movie, right. And, um. Here is. Uh, I mean, I had that thought watching that. Uh, is, is, that's the problem: right. is that it's speaking to a very specific group of people. Right. That's right. the problem. And so here, here's 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 what Mark writes. He says, "Quote: um, What what Green Book may not know is who it's for. The portion of the white movie going audience that needs to be handled with this much care and flattery is getting smaller every year. And the non-white audience at this point seems justifiably wary of buying a version of someone else's fantasy that it has been sold many many times before." Besides, it has other options. Underlying the bet that Green Book would be a crowd pleaser is a long outdated presupposition about the composition of the crowd, a belief that racism can only be explained to white audiences via a white character and a concurrent belief that those white audiences are uh, pivotal to the success of any movie. But they're not. This weekend, two movies directed by black men, Creed II and Widows, made the top 10 and handily outgrossed Green Book. Uh, that's not a common occurrence, but it's no longer a headline-worthy exception. And in a year that also includes Spike Lee's Black Klansman, Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You, and Barry Jenkins' If Bill Street Could Talk, moviegoers in search of black characters no longer need to look over the shoulder of a white director or co-star in order to find them, end quote. So I, I think that's kind of like what a lot of the pushback is about. Is like there's been a lot of white directors making uh, movies with white males in them that tell this kind of story. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are saying we don't need that lens with which to view these kinds of stories anymore. And I think you know that's what I'm absolutely true and absolutely valid. And I'm so glad we're seeing things like the woman King and numerous other movies that show you a different perspective on, you know, this kind of grand yeah. epic action storytelling. I will say also that one of my, big hopes for these sequels is that it expands this world and this narrative and, and mines different ground and it it becomes less or, you know, not that it can write those wrongs, but at least it maybe can explore Mm -hmm. some other themes that don't tread on this, this. Yeah. He has a writer's room too, right? There are other writers involved with the sequel. So I think that is a lot of, a lot of potential, a lot of potential, but anyway. Okay. Well, um, thanks for listening to mostly me talk about the themes of avatar. I really appreciate it. Um, we're going to take a break. 
We'll be right back. And then we're going to talk about how awesome this movie was. <laughs> hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Calm. And to do that, let me just focus on you for a second. How are you feeling? Seriously, check in with yourself. How are things going? How are you doing? If your answer was anything less than, I'm amazing, well, maybe our sponsor can help. Because Calm has the tools you need to feel your best. Calm is the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel, reduce stress, reduce anxiety through guided meditations, improve focus with curated music tracks, and Rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and adults. There's even new daily movement sessions designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. So if you go to calm.com, calm.com, that's funny, C-A-L-M dot C-O-M, calm.com, slash filmcast, you get a special offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription and new content is added every single week over a hundred million people around the world use calm to take care of their minds calm is ready to help you stress less sleep more and live a happier healthier life man that sounds wonderful doesn't it doesn't that sound better stress less sleep more and live a happier healthier life for listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash filmcast. Go to calm.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash filmcast. You Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. I became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Navi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution. You're listening to The Filmcast. Find us at thefilmcast.com or at youtube.com slash slash filmcast. Uh, that was a trailer for Avatar. Uh, and the plot summary of Avatar is as follows, according to IMDb. A, a paraplegic Marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. We all saw this movie this week in theaters, right? Uh, I saw it in Laser IMAX 3D. Devendra, what format do you see it in? I wish I saw it in Laser IMAX 3D. I saw it in RPX, which is Regal's like big Ooh. screen formats. It's big. It's nice. Interesting. Jeff Kanata, how about you? I saw it in IMAX 3D as well. I believe it was Laser, but I'm not entirely certain. Mm. All right. Um, so, it well, was you know, a great 
projector. Yeah, projection. you know what, Jeff? Jeff, um, you know, usually I go to you second, but I just want let's just start with you today. You know, overall, what did you think of watching Avatar again? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say what I thought of seeing Avatar again is best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right, Avatar limerick, hit me. Jake Augustine and Natiri are astounding in IMAX 3D. Even if the culture can't recall them for sure, they're relevant always to me. Oh, that's sweet, Jeff. Totally. Also, wow, name. writing 3D with Natiri, man. That's, that's not his name. Yeah. <laughs> Was that on purpose? Wait, what? What are you talking about? You said Jake Augustine. No, no, Jake, Jake comma, comma, comma Augustine, Augustine. Doctor okay. Augustine, Grace, Grace okay. Augustine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. three yeah. characters. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jake Sweeney. It's is hard, to, hard to have commas in limericks. Okay, it's hard it to is. have commas. True. In limericks. It is. Yeah. True. Uh, yeah. Jake, Jake, Grace, and Natiri didn't work. Um, <laughs> that I could, that I would understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, so what was the experience of watching this in IMAX 3D? I. There is a moment at the beginning of this movie. It's not the first shot, but it's close. With that drop of water, mm-hmm. you see Jake's face in the cryo chamber and that drop of water hovering out there in space. From that moment, I was absolutely transported into this world. And I, I mean, five minutes in, I was like, I forgot how much I love this. And what a treat it is to see it on a massive screen with great projection and incredible sound. It is, I mean, I said this in earlier part of the episode, it is not like any other film. I know plot-wise and structurally, a lot of people point out how it is uh, so similar to other movies. I won't dispute that. But the experience of watching Avatar is unrivaled to me. It is unmatched. It, it, and man, I could not believe how well it held up technologically. A movie that, that is, is so dependent on CG and CG is so uh, iterative and has improved uh, you know, so much in the intermeaning 12 years since this movie came out. The fact that I was still connecting to these characters. You know, we talk so much about how many big superhero films and how many big action movies and summer blockbusters end with this one CG character pummeling another CG character. And it's like, oh my gosh, it, it just, we just leave the confines of the movie and now we're just in an animated movie with, with pummeling each other. I never felt while watching this movie at any point that I was, wasn't just watching characters being filmed. I was I was always engaged with the characters. I never felt like, oh, that's CG. I mean, obviously it's CG, but it, it doesn't remind me. And that is a quality of the filmmaking, right? The filmmaking is so high level here. The action set pieces, the the slower moments, the way that the camera moves, the way it the 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 frame is always alive with a million things to see and 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 notice and how the world is just teeming with detail. And I mean, the world building is extraordinary. The look and feel of, even when you're just hanging out with the humans, 
the look and feel of the world and how all of the technology in their laboratories works and how you know every the color palette and how the masks work and the big robots and all of it is just i want to watch this i want to be there i'm i i don't want this 3 hour movie to end and I saw this, I, I think, four or five times in theaters in 2009. I would always take new people and go see it again. That is very unlike me. I don't watch multiple things multiple times in the movie theaters as a general rule. Every time I saw it in 2009, I cried. I cried this time watching it. I think it, this movie lands on me in an emotional way. I, I, I am connected. I think Zoe Saldana's performance is one of the most underrated film performances of all time. It is extraordinary. The, what she did under, you know, however many pounds of, of film equipment, of camera equipment strapped to her head, the, it is an incredibly evocative performance. Powerful. I'm in love with that character. I see her, you know, feel the death of, 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 of characters and the love she feels i mean all of it is i'm connected with this world i'm connected with these characters i'm the thrill ride is unmatched to me and the way the action sequences play out the way the 3d is utilized to be sort of uh inward drawing instead of you know so much of 3d up to the release of avatar had been like there's a pointy thing coming right at your face you know it was like, oh, it was always coming out. And, and Cameron's vision to say, hey, no, draw you into the image. See the depth of it. I, was, I remember thinking this in 2009, but I hadn't thought of it in you know, a decade or more. I love how there's a couple of shots in the movie where you see photos, uh, like, uh, like Polaroids almost, yeah. like stuck to the wall. And those have 3D in them? I think those were meant to be lenticular kind yeah. of. Like Brilliant. holographic I just, photos, yeah. I love that stuff, but it's always, it, it, not always, but most of the time it's drawing you in or how there's thing. <coughs> excuse me, there's things in front of the, in front of the frame, you know, in, in the foreground of the frame, in the background of the frame. And so you're, there's always layers and levels and you're just, you're peering into this world that seems to uh, unveil itself on the screen. I mean, I, I, unabashedly love this movie for all its flaws, which we have enumerated earlier in the show and flaws. I see, I, I see them. I recognize the flaws in the movie. I, I recognize that it is, um, you know, it's not the most original tale. I recognize that it has, uh, you know, very problematic themes. Uh, but for me, it will always be one of my favorite movie experiences despite all that stuff uh and because it provides a cinematic experience pure cinema this this feeling of watching it on a giant screen with the images engulfing me there is nothing that compares to it even 12 years later i i i love this movie the finger hardware Curious what you thought of the tech of the movie and the overall experience of watching it. Sure. I mean, I was mostly, I'm glad you, you still love the movie, Jeff. Like, I, I want everybody who liked this thing to continue liking it. Um, I just want to ask other questions, too, at the same time. I think the tech is interesting because 
Cameron did it. I don't think he remastered the CG, but adding high frame rate to certain scenes, especially like fast motion scenes, if the camera is like whipping back and forth, that does help to make it seem more clear, certainly clearer than was like when it was originally released. So I think that's cool. And the fact that we're not really even talking about it is kind of interesting because um, he has talked about this before. You know, we've seen the Hobbit movies. Uh, I've seen movies like uh, Gemini Man and, um, you know, the other Ang Lee stuff that dabbled with a high frame rate. It is a weird party trick, but to blend it into a movie that is doing the normal stuff and then get a little bit of high frame in there is kind of interesting. I thought that was really cool. Um, but I do feel like revisiting this movie reminded me, first of all, that, you know, yeah, it's an incredible experience. Um, it just kept also reminding me like, man, I love James Cameron so much. I wish I wish he just pushed a little harder, just a little harder in the storytelling in terms of like what this movie was actually about. Um, you know, it's almost three hours long, but it does feel like it takes its time. Um, just not telling us very much, you know, or at least it feels like this is one from the heart for him. You know, like we know him. He is a nature lover. He is a guy who's always out in the ocean. Uh, I'm sure if he was in Jake Sully's shoes, he would do everything Jake Sully did. You know, Jake Sully seems like his avatar. And I feel like that is a weakness of the movie, maybe. Like he is just way too into like this particular version of himself. Um, but hey, the movie's beautiful. I think it's a great experience. And I've been trying to tell people to go see this in theaters because you're not gonna, you're not just gonna get a Blu-ray and watch this at home. Like that's not avatar that's like half of avatar the full avatar experience is being in there in a giant screen and good 3d and you know as bright as possible and you know maybe enjoying it with a crowd too like this is a true crowd pleaser um it's also notable that yeah this is an original movie when so many things are original to a point but this was an original movie that came about um right when the mcu starts to take off and it's really fascinating to look at our culture now and just be like man Marvel just really did dominate everything. And then now it's Marvel plus Star Wars because Disney is just a behemoth at this stuff. Like they, they just really own this stuff. So to what you were saying, yeah, to what you were saying, um, Dave, like I, I do think the idea that avatar is kind of its own thing and that maybe didn't blow up as much, um, is is probably a bit of a feature that's certainly it's a pleasant throwback to days when not everything needed to be a franchise right it's kind of i mean it was immediately a franchise he announced sequels the next year but it was the fact that it didn't happen it didn't didn't actually become a franchise um you know like he he kept talking about it for a decade uh it was a planned franchise but i think it's kind of a happy accident that avatar kind of ended up being this thing while the complete like the whole cinematic environment just like blew up and got far geekier and far you know far more into geek properties than uh that even probably james cameron could have uh, predicted so i enjoyed watching this in theaters but man watching it again is like i don't it'll probably be another 10 years or so before i watch this movie again because i would want to see it in theaters and also i it's pro- it's too long i think it's too long i think i feel like it could have been tightened up a bit to really focus on the good stuff and the broader themes uh because like there there's a lot of great stuff here i think zoe saldana again fantastic uh totally agree with you jeff stephen lang i feel like this movie reintroduced badass stephen lang to a lot of people and uh you know that that scene where they're escaping the the military facility and Stephen Lang just goes out without his mask and just like unloads on him and then like his his assault rifle's done just keep shooting with his pistol. And then 20 <laughs> seconds later, the guy's like, you need oxygen. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oxygen. He's one of the great I don't film that. villains of all time. I think, I mean, truly 
yeah. awesome. I mean, he is him, him and Zoe Saldana are the MVPs of this mm-hmm. movie for me. Certainly like, not they're, Sam they're Worthington. They're the two most memorable yeah. characters. For yeah. Me. yeah, certainly not Sam Worthington. Like, also rewatching this, I'm like, man, we we really put a lot on Sam Worthington. Um, he tries his best. But, oh, man, he, especially watching it right now, like, he really feels like he falls in line with so many of the other, like, dudes who are trying to lead action movies in that era. Um, I've seen him in other things. He's in one of the Hulu series I've been watching. So he is uh, under like, the banner of heaven, right? Under the banner of heaven. Yeah. yeah, he is. He's pretty good in that. I think he has matured quite a bit. Yeah. I feel like he's aged into his face better and he's just a more experienced actor now. But here in this movie, it's like, ah, uh, he feels he feels so green. I guess maybe this character should feel pretty green, but uh, it didn't didn't really connect with me. More as blue much. than green. Do you want to say Michelle Rodriguez? <laughs> ton of fun. Total Time badass. Total, Total badass. badass. Yeah. Love her so much. Still don't have any idea what Giovanni Rubisi is doing in this movie. A lot of odd choices. Um, <laughs> but I was once again happy to hear CCH Pounder, you know, in, in a role like this, in a big budget movie. CCH Pounder is one of the few Guyanese actors working in Hollywood right now. So I will, you know, I will support her forever. More power to her. She's so, awesome. Yeah. It was a great experience in theaters, but it did make me think more about like, what I wanted from this movie and the things that were missing from it. Uh, I had an incredible time at the theater, completely blown away. I think because probably when I saw it first, there was no such thing as laser IMAX. Like I don't right. think, um, or laser it, IMAX is great. Any laser projection. Good shit. I was yeah. like, this is mind blowing. And Jeff, your reaction, you know, on the, on the podcast, if you listen to the whole thing at the filmcast.com, um, you will hear me speak forcefully about why I think this movie is deeply, deeply troubling in its themes. At the same time, I had such a freaking good time at the theater. And also you said like, (laughs) I got done watching the movie and I was like, I could, they could play it again. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm thinking of going to see it again, even though I just saw it like two nights ago in theaters. It's like that good, that much of a ride. And it's also so rare that we're going to have an opportunity to see it in the format (laughs) that it is most suited for I have, tell, I have heard tell yeah. there will be double features with uh Ooh. avatar the way of water so that might be another opportunity uh when the way of water comes out uh to go to revisit avatar so uh technologically it's incredible from a sound perspective it's inc- you know the, the cg holds up it yes it, probably at the time it was good they probably gave it a nice coat of paint for this thing but like I, at the time it looked good today it looks good it was way ahead of its time. And I think, you know, they showed a scene from The Way of Water in the post credits. And, you know, Devinger, you were talking about how it's better. I agree it's better. Like the 3D technology is better. It's, the CG looks better. But it's not like that I, much better. That Like, I didn't think it was like a huge evolutionary leap. It's like kind of more uh, the shots he was allowed to do. Like it is more freeing because it, it's, it's about a better character uh, basically riding a whale like creature. And mm-hmm. there are incredible shots of him underwater like looking up at the sun and the whale. I just feel like cameras Wait, may be a little more free with this stuff now. Did you just now. see a scene with them running a whale at the end? I don't remember a whale, Devendra. I have to put oh, that Oh, no, they were just swimming. Didn't... It was a bunch of kids swimming. Yeah, it was I a bunch did... of kids. Oh! You saw, oh! you saw a whale? I saw a whale. This well, is... there was a whale in the teaser trailer. Are you sure you're not getting that mixed up, Devendra? Yeah, because I know. The... I know. I mean, <laughs> what do you, you mean? The I did see the other teaser trailer. So what I saw was the credits rolled and then like maybe a minute after we saw some credits so like 
a preview. And now for a look at what's next. Yeah. It was something I did yeah. not what's coming. I did not see a bunch of kids. I saw what? one huh. kid. That's interesting. I didn't hear about multiple scenes. Um, but I saw Whoa. one kid, which I think may be Jake and Natiri's um son, maybe or child, um, on the back of this giant whale-like creature. And it oh my gosh! Wow, we, we must have seen different scenes. Then I they, saw the same scene that they, there's so much about this movie in this re-release. I don't think they really publicize, so that's wow. cool. Fascinating. Um, okay, yeah, we'll he, he was on the whale. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, in, in any case, in any case, uh, I think it looked better, but it wasn't yeah. like. Did you have a lot like, of wow? Yeah. yeah. It was it, honestly there no, there's no, nothing really happened. Mm, it was, the, yeah, it was yeah. an incredible scene to put at the end of the movie because it was just like. Look how gorgeous this movie is going to look. It, it, it yeah. seemed like it was just like a random, like mm. 60 seconds. There's no plot arc to it or anything. It was just like a random. It's just 60, kids swimming in the yeah, gorgeous water, in the water in 3D. Yeah. 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 Showing yeah. off the water. I think the water effects look incredible. Like we have never yeah, seen water like this in movies. They're good. Yeah. They're good. Um, but the other oh, thing that really sharp. impressed me about the movie was uh, just James Cameron's classical filmmaking style and that's what was accomplished like the for those who don't know basically they use this kind of um space where he could have like a camera film the actors and then like on the monitor you can see kind of a rough version of what pandora looks like if i'm not mistaken like that's how they filmed it yeah and as a result of that i think plus james cameron's tendencies it's very much put together like a conventional, it's shot like a conventional movie, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like, the. it feels like the camera has a weight to it. There's a lot of like handheld camera in the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the shots are kind of medium wide, like they're you're pretty far away. You can understand what's going on. At multiple points, James Cameron likes using um, slow motion. And uh, like he uses a lot in like The Abyss and Terminator 2. And at w- multiple points in the movie, the action slows down so you can understand what's going on. And it's like, yeah. What a concept. Amazing <laughs> to, to have a like coherent so, action so filmmaking. Old school, whereas now um, too many drone shots, people. I don't I want fewer drone shots in some of your <laughs> movies, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But but like you compare that that last mm-hmm. sequence with uh, Korich in the in the mech yeah. versus uh, Neytiri on the back of the Panther thing. Like compare that to the end of, I don't know, any Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Black Panther maybe like has similar creatures, yeah, yeah. Well, or you know, the Hulk pummeling something, or you know, these two bi- two big yeah. CG, you know, any any superhero movie. It's I never felt like I was watching just two CG things, you know, like two toys. It it had logic and flow and beats and emotion and like. It, like you're saying classical action mm-hmm. filmmaking just done in a digital style. So it, it, it doesn't, you don't feel like it's digital. You don't feel like, Oh, we've transitioned right. into the CG portion of the show. I, now I think, I think the biggest risk for like an all CG environment is often the camera feels weightless or it, it's yeah. doing something that's yeah. physically impossible for a camera to do. Which like is it'll what they're go trying like, to do with drone shots. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And they're trying to simulate it with stuff like drone shots. So, so I was really impressed with the filmmaking. Um, I will say that some of the dialogue is pretty rough. And particularly, like earlier on in the movie, mm-hmm. I thought, like, ooh, like a lot of this is clunky. That, that whole the, the whole opening sequence, um, something blew a hole in my life. Um, yeah, Worthington but, but, yeah, that, that is at least somewhat poetic, Devendra. I mean, there, uh, there's stuff like unobtainium. A lot of people complained at the time about yeah. the idea is that Awa is Mother Nature, but it's like it's not it's not enough for it to be Mother Nature. It's literally a neural network. 
Um, yeah. And yeah. some people think that that's making something physical that should be metaphorical. Yeah, and loading data into the neural network. You're loading data. And it's like, okay, no. like, that doesn't really bother me that much, but I understand why people are bothered by it because I think James Cameron is just like a very literal yeah. filmmaker. Like he he's is, very like, he is a, yeah. Yeah, or, instead of making it subtext, we're just going to literally make it text. And, I'm, you know, I'm you know. excited for Wave Water because his co-writer is Josh Friedman, who uh, did the Sarah Marshall Chronicles, which was an amazing TV show. That none Sarah, of Sarah Connor Chronicles. Sarah Connor, yeah, yeah. not Sarah Marshall, but yeah. Sarah Connor Chronicles. Forgetting um, Sarah Marshall Chronicles was really I, good. I would also watch that. <laughs> yeah, watch yeah. that. But yeah, he is a, a writer who is a, capable of managing up a whole bunch of themes. So I, I'm interested in seeing like how Cameron upgrades the storytelling, you know, with the sequels yeah yeah well folks uh i was thinking of like walking through each section of the movie but i don't think we actually have time for that yeah. tonight. um I, but i gotta tell yeah. you dave uh, uh earlier today i was i was telling a friend of mine uh that we were gonna do this you know and i've been like yeah. we've been talking about this movie for literally you know a decade and arguing about it for close to that and you know and we're finally gonna actually talk about the movie in earnest and and kind of hash this all out. And I, I just, I don't know what to expect from my co-hosts. And, and she said to me, she, she goes, uh, so you're, you're, you're just trying to, uh, get their approval. So you're saying their approval is like unobtainium. <laughs> I thought that was very good. It's just mm -hmm. a real thing. And then people mm -hmm. still complain about it, but that, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, uh, Jeff, can you acknowledge that unobtainium is a patently silly name for a silly mineral name. that they're getting? I mean, it's a real 100%. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and so the first part of the movie where, like, you're introduced to Unobtainium, Giovanni, whatever Giovanni Ribisi's doing in this movie, like... Yeah. like uh, like his he's just playing a smarmy smarm. I, mm -hmm. like, he's doing a good job of playing smarmy smarm. You know? Smarmy smarm. But uh, him explaining Unobtainium to, to the doctor? Pretty sure <laughs> she knows what's up. God. It's kind of like, you know, Vince Gilligan, yeah. who, who wrote Breaking Bad and, and met much a better call Saul, is like, mm -hmm. you know... Um, Two brothers don't sit down and at a diner and be like, "How long have we been brothers?" You know, like <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on in the first act of this movie, where it's like people are just saying a bunch of stuff to each other that I don't know that they would necessarily say. Um, he, here's a thing that really stuck out to me, like a sore thumb. This uh, this watch was um, uh, Joel David Moore's performance as Doctor Norm Spellman. Yeah, which I was just I like, yeah. it was like a it was even more over the top than I remember. Like when they're going to the Misty Mountains and he's like, yes, you know, it's, he's like kind it's of very like strange. The, the nerd surrogate, super nerd, the, like yeah. the nerd viewer surrogate. In but the also I, I feel for him, man, because uh, Jake Sully sucks. Where'd this guy come from? <laughs> Did no training? It's coming in here into his dead twin brothers avatar. <laughs> super convenient. The, the yeah. whole setup for this movie is like, he's a former soldier. He's a quadriplegic person. His brother is dead. This is so much. I feel like they could have simplified some of that storytelling. Well, the brother well, what's, in, what's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think what Jeff's about to point out, but like what's yeah. interesting is like every one of those plot points yes. allows them to do, allows them to create a character dynamic in the movie. Right. Like yeah. It's, yeah. he's, so he's, he's a paraplegic. So that mm. means that like having the avatar body is like something that he would definitely be attracted to because he could, he could Walk. regain his limbs back, which is something we know he wants. The character wants. Sure. Um, and the fact that he's like coming in for his brother means like everyone else can like not like him and like sure, that can create sure, some tension. Sure. I don't think they really do that much with it, to be honest. Like, they don't, it, it's just a thing. The, it, at one point in the diary he's making, he says, 
Um, well, I guess uh, Norm is uh, like way more on board now than he was before. It's like, yeah, yeah. okay, I guess that's solved. You this know, movie like- is almost three hours <laughs> long and doesn't build their relationship. Norm hates right. him rightfully um, because like, who is this guy? Who comes in and pretends to be a warrior and now he's all up with the with the Navi? That's just, he's cheating. He's cheating. Um, I, I, I do think Jake Sully is basically the Gordon Freeman oh, absolutely. of this movie, right? Like yeah. he is this kind yeah. of blank slate on which you can project Gordon Freeman yeah. from the Half-Life video games. Yeah. He is the blank slate on which you can project the your own desires and feelings, talks. right? Yeah. In that scenario, you'd be thing, like... The great thing about Gordon Freeman, doesn't talk. No, <laughs> no lines. No lines. You're fully the avatar. He he is your avatar in, in that world. Um, but Jake Sully kind of sucks, guys. Like, he he basically is was instrumental to the entire destruction of home tree and it wasn't until like the very end where he's like huh maybe this is bad i've made i've made a huge <laughs> tiny mistake maybe i should have warned well, these people that i, I love that, that line where he's like, yeah. i love that line where he's like well we can we can go back and, and save them and and uh i think it's uh i think it's um spellman who's like why would they trust us at all for anything why do they want us there right. at all yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All your and, fault, Jake Sully, to, to a certain degree. He lay, he gave them the schematics. He yeah, gave them the schematic. That's the bad thing is he gave them the here. schematics, right? Like, yeah, that's the unforgivable yeah. thing that he did. And, like, he doesn't even tell that to her, to Natiri, I don't he doesn't think. doesn't tell that to her. There are so many opportunities over the course of this entire movie when they were having their little, like, uh, relationship building where you could be like, I got, I got something to tell you. I'm just feeling a little guilty about um kind of gave them, you know, the... Have you ever seen Star Wars? You know where... <laughs> That core of the Death Star. You gotta, yeah. I, yeah. It must be pointed out that I don't think that their plan would have been any different if they didn't have the schematics, right? Like, mm. let's just shoot <laughs> missiles at it. Shoot, pretty much shoot the missiles <laughs> at the point. Yeah. Yeah. Where to shoot the missiles, you see? Like, I think specific points uh, were destroyed, even mm. at the end. Because James Cameron is too technical of a director not to pay off that setup. You know? Yeah. I will say I really enjoyed that part when he uh, kind of has to confess to her, and it really reminded me of "She's All That." Remember, yes. uh, it's like when I th- when I took on this, it was just, it was a bet at first, but now yeah. it became something more. Um, after dude, after I made love to you and basically became your uh, yeah your husband, your spouse for wife or for life, basically. Yeah, I, I will say the <laughs> the motion capture was extremely impressive on Natiri throughout. Yes. Um, I thought it was okay on Jake Sully, but the, honestly, I was most impressed in that scene uh-huh. when he is confessing everything and he's like, you know, I, 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 the reason I'm here is to tell you that this attack is going to come. And, you know, Sute says like, you made it with this person. Like, and his facial expressions throughout that whole scene are so yeah. incredible because yeah. he's obviously filled with rage, but he's also yeah. like wounded because Natiri has fallen in love with this guy who he hates, and like this for Sute. It, there's on. all these emotions going across Sute's face. I'm like, I really believe that's a character. You and know, and then, the- then at the end of the movie, Sute's like, "Yes, Jake Sully, I will die for you in this battle that you have caused." <laughs> Goddamn idiot! Sully. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but sorry, Jeff, you, what were you going to say? Yeah. And then I want to talk about like the final two big sequences before we. No, I was just going to point out how amazing Zoe Saldana's performance in that moment specifically mm-hmm. is. Like when she realizes. And she tells him to leave, and uh, you know she she's incredible, incredible in this movie. She's the she's eye, the, the eye work. I remember the the motion capture rigs did a great job of like capturing how eyes expressed, and that really shows up in that scene. That's the kind of a sense that uh, 
Cameron and the animators just paid a lot of attention to Zoe Saldana's <laughs> character. Like a lot of attention there. I mean, at her. times yeah. it's photorealistic yeah. to me. Yeah. It's photo, like I literally indistinguishable from reality. Um, also like skin, the way skin works, the way like Jake Sully sweats and his mm-hmm. like skin glistens. It's, it's all very, very convincing. Technologically, the movie's incredible. Yeah. I would say the movie really builds to two big moments, right? Like one is the destruction of Home Tree is kind of the first major action sequence. And uh, it's really, really gutting and upsetting, I have yeah, to say, like watching it, it again. And there's so many amazing moment, like moments within the broader sequence, like when the uh, when they hit all the load bearing columns and like the tree starts like splintering into like a gajillion pieces. It's mm-hmm. like it's actually almost pornographic uh, in terms <laughs> of like the destruction. Right. Like it just it feels I mean, I'm not no- sure what you're into, Dave, but. Look up the definition of pornographic. It's not what you think it is. Um, but it's it, it really is. It feels like when I'll we just watch Google pornographic and see what happens. <laughs> when we when you watch like a mass destruction event in yeah. real life, it, it yeah. feels like that yeah. trouble. You know, like I'm yeah. not going to compare it to real life tragedies, but you know what they are. Like it feels that kind of upsetting. Yeah. And then there's that moment when like they're tied up, and then like Natiri goes and kind of gives them a look before she kind of like runs away, and it's just like you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, she's like you're you're on your like f it, like you're on your own. Um, yeah. There's so many amazing moments in, in that thing, and then also juxtaposed with how cavalier Quaritch is doing everything. He's yes. like you know, launch, you know, drinking coffee, launch oh, everything. You know, so first rounds on me when we get back. Like just the the separation between. The, it's really an anti-military that, movie in many yes. ways, right? Oh, like, very much ahead, so. That, that shot that's sort of behind him in the cockpit with the arrows hitting the cockpit and like leaving little scr- scratches yeah. on the, it's so good. He's just like completely unfazed. He's yeah. like, well, I guess we're going to have to light him up. You know, it's like, it's, it's so evocative. You just, you just feel like, man, fuck this guy, you know? Yeah. Oh, I, I, mean, I mean, I mean, you know, Jeff, I, I guess like th- this is the thing that's so, sort of weird is like I think the movie is like anti-military, but it's theoretically also like anti-war, I think, in some ways, which yeah. is kind of what makes the final sequence really weird because it's so freaking thrilling. Like the entire yeah. last 45 minutes of the movie is incredible just you're watching revolution in action too like it's clearly an iraq war allegory so that's kids watching this movie today will probably have no idea what any of this means but you know shock and awe is name check right shock and awe is name check and and there's so many sequences like there's an incredible visual i'm like wow if a movie had one of these yeah like if a movie was building up to this one visual it would be um we'd think that movie is amazing there's like dozens of those black hawk down was about one helicopter going down okay right Right. i mean just the way that the final sequence is constructed where you basically have this massive mothership with these this you know dynamite in it and then all these little tiny ships going up against these kind of organic creatures which are extremely colorful compared to the gray brown drabness of the military machines um the uh the the sequence that always makes me cry among many sequences that make me cry in this movie. But one of the moments that always makes me cry is when that, the Panther thing lowers its head and Mm -hmm. invites her to step on. It's like, ah, gets me, man. It gets me that, 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 there's something really powerful. I I think that's the thing is like on a raw visceral level, the movie is just really entertaining. Now we have already pointed out during this review, a lot of the storytelling stuff is pretty rough. Um, Taruk, in the moment, you're like, okay, sure, fine. Well, great. The, the biggest one, I would, I would say, the biggest kind of flaw in the storytelling for me is the idea that Taruk Makto, like, where he 
needs to ride the biggest thing. It's like, hey, the way I figure, um, nobody's going to try to get on this yeah. thing from above. Oh, I'm sure nobody ever thought of that. It is, Sully. I, yeah. it, is a, it is a thing that I never noticed until this watching of the movie is because like... Because you were hearing David Devinger's voice in your head and how they constantly. might criticize it, right? I was, yes. I was, I was constantly <laughs> like, oh, crap, please don't be... Please don't have to defend... I have to defend him against that and against that. Uh, but the... Um, <laughs> It's weird that that happens off camera, off screen. It's like, it's weird that the most pivotal thing he does, it, we just sort of yada, well, yada, yada. Jump, you see him jump on from first person perspective. And that's cool. And yeah. But you figure like, maybe somebody's tried that before. And it would be one of the things that potentially could have defended <laughs> yeah. against, you know, the, the thing. Well, white guy can do it. Nobody else has thought of it before is uh, if there had been some thing that he learned that nobody had ever learned before, or there was some, mm -hmm. some secret that had been discovered somehow right, that right. allowed him to do the thing that nobody else has been, but it's literally just like, I'll try yeah. it this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's pretty silly. I mean, and the thing that's so, the, another reason it's so jarring is because the scene where he first rides the Ikran is incredible. You incredible. Know, like, and, and I actually didn't even remember that scene of them climbing up the the mountains, but it's just like, wow, they're like thousands yeah. of feet in the sky. And they're just like, if they slip, they'll die. And like, they go up to where all the, the Ikran are and he has to like wrestle the thing into the ground. And, the you know, the, it's, the yeah. leap onto the ropes part is just like, ah, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. And then, and then, so he goes to all this trouble to like, you know, bring this thing into submission. And the idea that Turuk Mokta, the, or Turuk, the biggest one, you could just, yeah, just plop, yeah. just gonna, just gonna like yeah. plop right on there. You know, like, it's just like, yeah. okay, I, I guess. A lot of the shots, but... Uh, but just a reminder that Cameron, it does scale like nobody else. Like, the sense of scale you get, even from the beginning of the movie, like, when he's walking into the base and everything, Yeah, the 3D really honestly helps make those spaces feel enormous. So Totally. And, and, and yeah. there, there's, there's scenes where, like, especially with the Misty Mountains, right, where they're, like, you see, like, these tiny figures, like, walking along this massive, like, vine. Yeah. And it just it looks amazing. It's just like I, wow, I love yeah. the the scene at the beginning where he's on, coming out of the thing in his wheelchair and he in that giant truck passes and you have that awesome shot yeah. below him him looking up we're past looking past him up at this massive truck. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. And dude, yeah. even even like I mean the first few moments of the movie I talked about that water droplet thing but then as he comes out of the cryo chamber and you just see down the whole row of cryo chambers yeah. and the guys are floating and asking if they're okay and like, it's like such incredible imagery just right away you know i kind of yeah. wish yeah. they they did the spe the like director's cut of avatar back in theaters because we get more stuff on earth in that one apparently i never ended up mm. watching it but i hear there's a bigger mm. earth introduction yeah well guys yeah. Speaking of the Mandela effect, which which occurred, you know, a conversation earlier on the podcast, um, <laughs> there has been significant online debate over whether the Jake and Natiri sex scene in the movie features them connecting their ponytails, right, right, right. right? And in fact, it does as not. we saw in the theatrical version, it does not. Now, At least this version doesn't. <laughs> there was yes, there was a scene that was filmed and made it into the extended edition. That does have that, but um, it was never in the theatrical version. But a lot of people think they saw it in the theatrical version. They didn't. It was not. So sure. uh, we're clearing that up right now. You know, I'm, and I'm glad that we can be the a one resource. takeaway you must have from this episode. I'm glad we can be a resource <laughs> yeah. about this topic. Yes. Um, anyway, uh, yes. Uh, so 
the final sequence again, just want to mention, right? Yes, Davindra, I agree with you. Sute kind of being on board with Jake's plan so quickly, it's kind of like, mm, I, I, I guess. Yeah, really feel uh, for Sute. I, I, I mean, he showed, like, that, that was another thing that kind of bothered me about the storytelling, the narrative was like, he kind of shows up on the Turuk at the end. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's just like, everything's forgiven. <laughs> yeah. Everything's forgiven. Like, uh, I guess it's that big of a deal that you're on the Turuk that, like, we can ignore all the ways in which you yeah. have dishonored our society in the we past. Should, we, just, we should have seen everybody like saying like, I bet he went up, right? I was thinking about going up one day. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also, have you anybody thought about his Ikran who's like, I, yeah. I will be devoted to you for life. Yeah. You will ride only me <laughs> and I will only <laughs> be ridden by you. And then he's like, oh, Tarak Mukhtar, bitches. And his, Ikran's like, I'll be over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but anyway, all that said, the ending sequence is incredible. It takes place in multi stages, right? Uh, yeah. There's they they kind of like sort of start losing, and like everything goes into slow motion, and Natiri is hopeless, and then all of a sudden, uh, Awa hears their prayers, and like the animals come and defend the the land, and that's really thrilling and exciting. Um, and then. So I'm like, this is already amazing, incredible action sequence. Jake freaking chucking grenades into helicopters and stuff. So rad. But then they have like a really lovely, like tense fight sequence with Jake's like pod at the end, right? Like Orange barely escapes his ship. He finds Jake's pod and he's like, he's like, you're about to like wake up, or he says, and he's like trying to get Jake out of the pod while like Jake's avatar self is trying to stop Korich and Natiri is trying to like get out from under this thing that's on her leg basically the whole time. And it's just like, wow, what, a, what an amazing, like yeah. nice personal way to end it as opposed to being ending with spectacle. It's just like a fight scene between three characters yeah. trying to stop this guy from breaking into this pod. It's, it's really, I really love well that the, the giant mech is literally just using a big ass Bowie knife. Big, big you knife. Know? Oh big yeah. Knife. He, ha- he like had one like on his waist or whatever. I'm like, did they all come with that? Or was it just Quaritch's <laughs> like special version? Right. So rad dude. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so awesome. And it's, it, you know, it's, it, it's also sort of works on this level of, he is in his suit that makes him bigger. Jake is in his suit that makes him bigger. Even Nick yeah. on the thing that makes her bigger. It's like, it's all. Yeah. Do, now, do you think Natiri like they, they called the humans with avatars dream walkers, which is like, is a cool yeah. concept of like, they're not always in their bodies, but like, do you think Natiri, how do you think Natiri figured out that it was Jake piloting that avatar body? It kind of looks like him. Still was that like was that explained? I feel like to her that she went to Earth, Earth School and yeah, spoke yeah maybe they. I'm sure that yeah, I don't think Sigourney Weaver. You know, I don't think Grace Augustine is was ever pretending to not be in. You know, I think that was probably all very clear. Mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like you know they were yeah. always be you know real upfront. And she kind of looked at it and it's like, oh, that's the thing Quaritch was trying to destroy. Yeah. Like maybe, yeah. And then when oh when he reaches in there and like crushes one of those Ugh. pods, it's like. So Holy cr- and it's like just not the pod that has Jake in it. It's like yeah. wow, like it's incredible. So. One thing the movie doesn't really clear up is how how does the dreaming into Navi work? Like the timing of it, right? Because yeah, right. when do they yeah. actually sleep? When do they, when do they actually <laughs> sleep? Do they, right? yeah. It seems like they're awake all night, basically. Yeah. yeah. They, and also, they, this must be the highest speed like five G connection ever, right? <laughs> that they're like yeah. beaming yeah. in all this day. But you they know, whatever. It's the future interstellar so at that point i will <laughs> accept any wireless communications yeah well works. um two other things i want to bring up one is um i loved you know the the moments so you you get to you spend so much time with the navi and jake just as the navi in the navi world that you kind of forget at a certain point that they're nine feet tall you know yeah. and then yeah. at the end i love that part where um 
Sute lands in the back of the of the helicarrier thing and just starts chucking dudes <laughs> and you realize oh yeah he's nine feet tall and badass you yeah, know it's yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. there's like little play things for him that's such a cool yeah. reminder of the scale that we're working at and then later when Natiria like places her his yeah. hand, her hand on J jake and vice versa you also like see the size difference it's amazing yeah and, and the, the other thing, thing that 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 i caught this time and, and maybe others have caught many times before but i always I remember hearing, uh, you know, rumors about the uh, the sequels and how Sigourney Weaver was still going to be in them and had to hold her breath a whole lot. And I was like, you know, the whole thing was like, oh, no, but Grace Augustine dies. In it. But there is a shot mm -hmm. after they do the 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 prayer to Awa of the tunneling, which we only ever yeah. get when we're going into our avatar. So mm, the idea that maybe Sigourney... What? Yeah. It's a good catch. Yeah. Yeah. She, and I think that is, I think somewhere. that was a clear indication yeah. that she has transferred her consciousness fully yeah. into the avatar. And maybe it's just she hadn't woken up yet, you know. Or or it has transferred it to Awa and it can be yeah. transferred into an avatar later, probably. Yeah. 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 The thing that's really blown my mind is how is Korich gonna be in the next movie? Because <laughs> yes, theoretically yeah. he is yeah. in the next movie. He got arrows to the chest, baby. Maybe uh, they did a the kind of one of those ceremonies with Korich too afterwards, and they kind of transferred yeah. his consciousness. Well, we just didn't see it. Right? That is another thing that I was like, I was like, there's a lot of people that died in the Battle of the Big Tree that, that maybe they their own people they probably would have tried to ask Awa to bring back first before the the nice white folks. You know, I don't know. The folks were ostensibly responsible for all their deaths. Perhaps <laughs> yeah. they would want to well, give the. I'll get together and sing for, so you guys don't die. But it talks about half of our population. You know? <laughs> yeah well anyway uh any other thoughts on avatar i think i think it's a, it's a great time yeah. i'm gonna try to see it again if it, i can it, in the theater i honestly I, I i hope i have conveyed how joyous a feeling it was to do, see this again on a big screen it was like i i really was like i don't want this to end i don't want this i don't want this to end it it brought me back to 2009 i was I hadn't seen it in so long, and I, I was reminded of just all the texture and joy that's in, you know, all the little things that are happening in the backs of the uh, of the frame of, of, you know, all the flora and fauna, and, and there's just so much to sort of soak in, and to see it on such a huge screen mm -hmm. in 3D again, it just... Man, they I highly uh, recommend people revisit this movie if they They should re-release uh, some of those environments like in VR because ah, wow, yeah, that'd be great. You could actually be walking through Pandora uh you know with some headset. So that would be a really I was cool really thing. impressed by like the creation of Pandora and yeah. like the flora of the fauna, but also like the creatures and how they're all designed. I, I think basically the the creative brief with was what if earth animals, but with an extra pair of legs that seem yeah. to be like most and of And lungs like, on their, you know, ch yeah. chest. That's basically <laughs> yeah, it. outside, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's a it's a rip roaring piece of action filmmaking that I think still holds up both technologically and in terms of thrills to this day. Yeah. And despite my extremely serious reservations about the message you tries to send, uh, it's a great time at the theater, and I uh, hope I get to ch check it out again before we see Avatar: The Way of Water later this year. At the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that James Cameron made a movie and. One of the highest grossing films yeah. of all time. Perhaps the ultimate movie. Yeah. Perhaps yeah. the ultimate movie. That's going to bring us into this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Support this show. Sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive after arcs at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. 
this episode, uh, the theme song for the episode comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight and Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper typically comes courtesy of Kyle Corwith from uh, YouTube. And also our weekly plugs music, which we didn't play today, comes courtesy of Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week on the podcast... It's going to be David O. Russell's new film, Amsterdam. We're going to Amsterdam. Going to yeah. Yeah. Um, which has an extremely stacked cast, but is the movie any good? You'll need to tune in to find out. Uh, so looking forward to talking about it. Should be a nice dessert after our Avatar conversation. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you later.